Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and this week I had the pleasure to speak with Alex Jarecki, one of the NUPR magazine editors, about his recent piece on voting in America titled, Stop Treating Our Election Process as Untouchable, It Erodes Democracy. You can read this piece yourself on nupoliticalreview.com. And in addition to outlining some of the long-standing issues around voting in this country, on this week's episode of the show, we also take a look at how the COVID-19 pandemic and the changes to the United States Postal Service are impacting voting in the 2020 elections and the implications this might have for American democracy. Before jumping into this week's episode, I do want to encourage everyone listening to make sure that you're registered to vote and that you've made a plan on how you're going to cast your ballot this November. I recommend checking out vote.org for state-by-state information as well as assistance with voting. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and this week I'm speaking with Alex Jarecki over Zoom. Alex, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, uh, I am Alex Jarecki. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am a third year biology and political science major, and I am a Newper Magazine editor this year. Fantastic. As I'm sure everyone listening, everyone in America, and probably a lot of people in the world are have their attention turned to the 2020 US elections. And so in your piece, you looked at some of the unique features of the United States elections process, particularly where it causes problems and disenfranchises voters. And if you wouldn't mind giving the audience a little summary of some of the issues that you addressed. I mean, I wrote this article mostly just because I find myself very concerned and like passionate about election issues and voter disenfranchisement and voting rights. And so I wanted to write an article sort of just giving an overview of some of the issues with American democracy that really, if we want to be considered, you know, like a model of democracy for the world, we really need to fix these issues and be just better about voting rights and limiting disenfranchisement. So I talked through four main issues in this article. The first one was going back to caucuses. So obviously talking about like the Iowa caucuses and also Nevada this year were super huge issues, um, very like prominent in the news, talking about just I think the huge field of Democratic candidates that made it more of just a gauntlet of who's going to make it out of Iowa. And so I want to talk about sort of the issues that are inherent in the caucus system, uh, which is mostly just the fact that it disenfranchises many people, many voters who are disabled, elderly, or working, who aren't able to make it to caucuses and therefore can't participate in democracy. Real quick, can can you just give a quick overview of what a caucus is compared to like a simple election? So caucuses are different from your typical primary elections in that they're more of like town hall meetings than actually going and casting a ballot for a candidate. So in Iowa, there are caucus sites all around the state, depending on where your precinct is, where you live in the state, you are assigned. So it's sort of like 
in a normal election, you're assigned a certain place to go in person and vote. So you show up to your caucus site in person, and basically, instead of casting paper ballots, people use their bodies to indicate which candidate that they want to vote for. So each candidate is assigned a certain area of the room, and you do what's called the alignment, where you basically just walk over to the area that's designated for your candidate. So say, like in Iowa, it was Biden in one corner of the room, Warren in another, Buttigieg in another. So their supporters go to that area, and they count up each person. So the number of people in each section for each candidate indicates the number of supporters. And basically, in the Iowa caucuses, each candidate has to reach a 15% threshold in order to be considered viable. So it's 15% of the people in the room. So if there are 100 people who are at that caucus site, 15 people have to be in support of that candidate. So with like viability thresholds, um, then there's several rounds of realignment until all of the candidates remaining have at least 15%. And that determines who wins that particular precinct. And the numbers at each caucus site then translate to state delegate equivalents, which determines who actually wins the Iowa caucuses. Yeah, if you can't physically get to one of these caucus sites on the night of the primary, then there's not much you can really do if you're trying to influence the party's primary voting process. So the uh, turnout rate, like our participation numbers for elections are sort of low in America anyway, and they're lower in primaries and non-presidential election years, so midterms. But the Iowa caucuses have less than a 20% turnout rate in comparison to like the New Hampshire primaries had, I think, a little bit above 50%. So you can just see just how much having a caucus impacts the number of people who can actually participate in the election. Yeah, those are definitely not the stellar numbers we'd want to see for picking the next leader of our nation. No. And then I know you also mentioned some of the issues with the Electoral College, which is one of this bizarre American institutions that not a ton of people understand, and even less people understand why it still exists. So this is, um, personally, I have a lot of beef with the Electoral College. It's very, like, it just makes democracy so much harder to actually implement and is a very undemocratic system because it makes it so that individual votes don't actually matter as much. So the Electoral College is different from just a popular vote because the Electoral College works by each state is assigned a certain number of electoral votes. And these are roughly based on population. It's the number of electoral votes is the number of senators plus the number of representatives in the House. So every state has at least two and the maximum, the highest number is 55 in California. So it's apportioned roughly on population, but if you actually get down into it, it's not super equivalent just because having two votes for the smallest states doesn't scale up correctly to having a couple, even a couple dozen for the largest states. That's how you get claims such as one vote in Wyoming is worth three votes in California, but kind of doing the math on that a little bit. Exactly. So people who are voting in Wyoming, because their state is so much smaller, there are so few people and they still have a certain number of electoral votes that doesn't scale correctly. That means votes in 
small like rural states are on a national scale worth much less than a vote in New York or California. I see, I see. In addition to all of these historic and recent voter disenfranchisements that we've been dealing with, the year is in fact 2020 and we are living through a global pandemic and that is causing some new kinds of voter disenfranchisement and new issues with the presidential election. And that's, that's really what we're here to talk about today. So what are some of 2020's unique pandemic-related voter disenfranchisement issues? So the biggest thing this election cycle is mail-in voting. So for the millions of Americans who don't feel safe going to polling places in person in November, they're relying on mail-in ballots in order to cast their votes. So if you're looking at even the primaries have, that have happened already, some issues with super long lines at polling places and people being forced to wait outside for hours with improper social distancing and being shoved into like small, like limiting the number of polling places has made it really hard for people to actually go and cast their ballot. And so the hope is that you could limit the issues of showing up to vote in person in November by expanding vote by mail and allowing as many Americans as possible to vote absentee or through the mail rather than in person. It, it seems to be kind of like a, a back and forth feeding off each other's cycle with reducing the number of polling places, which leads to more people crowding into the few that remain. Not to mention a lot of polling workers are typically retired senior citizens who fall into the, the high risk groups for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are gonna be voting by mail this election. I know some of the numbers that I have seen floating around are upwards of 50% to 70%, which is the majority statistically. And is this some of the stuff you've seen as well that this election is going to be basically had by mail? Yeah, so there's, it depends on the state, really, if you break it down, but across the country, there's increased numbers of people who are planning on voting by mail. I saw one report says that 75% of voters will be able to vote by mail. That's not saying that they all will take that, but that that will be an option for them, which is a record high, just because so many states have expanded their rules about voting by mail. Interesting. How has voting by mail happened historically? And then what are some of the changes we're seeing in 2020 regarding vote by mail? Yeah, so historically, Americans have been able to vote absentee or by mail due to certain circumstances that make it impossible for them to vote in person. So obviously, like you have American service members who are overseas who can't be home to vote in person. Um, they have absentee ballots that they just send home. For people who are disabled or elderly or can't make it to the polls, they can vote absentee. And so historically, it's usually you have to have some sort of excuse to vote absentee. So you will tell your state, I won't be home uh, on election day. I won't be able to make it to my polling location because I'm sick, because I'm disabled, because I'll be out of the country. So historically, most states have said, okay, you can vote absentee just as long as you provide us a reason. So 
in recent years, it's becoming more and more common that states will implement no excuse absentee voting. So you can just tell your state, I need to vote absentee, don't even need to provide a specific reason, and they will send you your absentee ballot, and you can vote by mail. Uh, and some states also have where just every voter gets a ballot automatically, so everybody can choose to vote by mail uh, without even needing to request a ballot. Yeah, and I know that earlier this summer, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and that's where I'll be voting this election, and I was able to just request online through the PA Department of State to receive an absentee ballot. I didn't have to specify a reason at all. And then one of my roommates happens to be from Seattle, Washington. Every voter in the state of Washington gets a mail-in ballot sent to them. So he received his mail-in ballot. He didn't even have to request it. It just came to the apartment and he was able to send it back. No problems at all. Yeah, I vote in Michigan. So I got earlier this summer, I got a letter from like the state of Michigan asking if I wanted to vote by mail for both the primary and the general election. So I just had to send back like one envelope saying, please send me absentee ballots for both elections. And it was that easy. And do a lot of states have either universal mail-in voting or no excuse absentee voting? So the number is increasing. I think about 10 states have universal vote by mail and around 30 have the no excuse absentee. So, and that's also changing with the pandemic. A number of states have altered their absentee voting rules to say, if you can't vote because of the pandemic, if COVID-19 is a concern for you, you can give that reason for getting one and they'll send you your absentee ballot. I mean, that's really the key question here is, can you say, I'm in a global pandemic, I don't wanna vote at a potentially dangerous polling place. Is that gonna be a valid excuse across the country? So that's the case for a lot of states, luckily, but for some, they have said that fear of COVID isn't a valid reason for wanting to vote absentee. So as of when we're recording this, we have six states have said that fear of COVID is not a valid reason to request an absentee ballot. Hopefully that could change still before the election. They may change that. I think just like the public wants to be able to vote safely. And I think hopefully public opinion could sort of force those states to change their rules and say, no, COVID is a valid reason for wanting to send your vote by mail. I have to admit, I'm a little, I'm nervous about this because a state, I believe Texas still isn't allowing COVID-19 as a valid excuse. And Texas is one of the most populated states in the country. And in October, they could say that we're gonna, they're gonna allow mail-in voting because of COVID. But already, if, if that's not their position now, every day that passes when that's not the case could mean people who don't get their ballot in time or aren't able to mail their ballot in time. Do you think that is a serious concern in this election? Yeah, I think it's definitely worrying to know some states either are refusing to change their rules or may change their rules too late and make it so that a ton of voters are still forced to go to the polls in person. Uh, and if we're talking about whether or not they can get their ballots in on time, obviously we're looking at issues with the defunding of the United States Postal Service, which is bringing in all sorts of issues into mail-in voting. Yeah, and I, I want to get into the Postal Service in a second here. Before we get to that, I'm curious, 
what have you heard is some of the reasons that people would be hesitant or rather why officials are hesitant to implement voting by mail since I think we've given a pretty a pretty good reason of why people should be voting by mail in 2020 but what are the counter arguments or what are people saying in opposition to that idea yeah so obviously I think the biggest things would be talking about Donald Trump himself has said that universal vote by mail is a terrible idea that allowing everybody to vote absentee will result in voter fraud. I know he's gone on several Twitter rants saying that absentee voting and mail-in voting are going to lead to all sorts of voter fraud and make it possible for the Democrats to quote-unquote steal the election. So that's definitely, if you're talking about like the biggest uh, like arguments against vote by mail are these completely baseless claims by the president himself that it's gonna result in voter fraud. Intellectually, I can kind of imagine where those concerns come into play, but from the research you've done, do you think that voter fraud, voter mail fraud is a a serious election-changing concern? Not at all. It's really, the the incidents of voter fraud are minuscule, both in-person and uh, for mail-in voting. So it's not really, an issue much at all. It's just a lot of, I think, politicians are just blowing out of proportion because for some reason they feel like maybe their election chances are hurt by more people voting absentee, which also there's really no evidence that either party benefits more from mail-in voting. So it's not saying like if everybody votes by mail, then Democrats are guaranteed to win or Republicans are guaranteed to win. It really doesn't change the numbers much at all. It's just really, if you're advocating for vote by mail, it's more about you want as many people as possible to vote safely in this election. To be honest, even if the, the research suggested that one party would be benefited vastly by vote by mail, what they're really saying is one party benefits from more people voting, which just means that they're more popular and they have more support from the American people, which to me doesn't seem like an actual issue. That seems like how democracy should work. Yeah, and you see this is a common trend and sort of a common thread through all of the issues that I talked about in my article, from the Electoral College to money in politics to just voter disenfranchisement generally it puts certain communities at a disadvantage. So your low-income communities and communities of color are always going to be the most likely to be hardest hit by any sort of rules or regulations that try to limit the number of people who are voting and how they're voting. So it's always sort of the same people who are being like receiving the greatest harm from these rules, and politicians seem to be... I don't even want to say willfully ignorant because it seems it's malicious at this point. I see. Now, a few minutes ago, we mentioned we were going to get into the USPS, the United States Postal Service, since if you're going to do vote by mail, then the Postal Service is a key part of that. So what are some of the things that you've seen around the USPS? I know that this this past August, they've been making a lot of headlines a lot of save the USPS tweets and Instagram posts. What have you been seeing with regards to the the postal service, especially as it relates to voting this year? Yeah, so I'm sure people have seen all of the headlines about 
the USPS facing like funding challenges and pictures of mailboxes being removed from cities uh, and all of the news about stuff like sorting machines being shut down. Uh, and that's all coming from a new postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, who took over in June. He was a Trump supporter and a huge fundraiser and was given this position. And sort of he's, as even in the few short months that he's been in the position, he's accelerated a ton of changes to the USPS that were in place before, but he's just sped them up to a rate that we haven't seen before. So it's changes like eliminating overtime, reducing post office hours, and removing the post boxes that you've seen pictures of like all over Twitter and stuff. So it all comes from this underlying issue of the fact that the USPS is running out of money. So in, back in April, the USPS warned Congress that it could run out of funding by September. So now we're in September, so we're going to see how that works out. So they requested $75 billion in emergency funding. Uh, the CARES Act, so the COVID stimulus bill, the relief package that was passed earlier this year, included $25 billion for USPS, but that was blocked. And so they did not get the amount of funding that they needed in order to survive for the next few months leading up to the election. You mentioned that some of the things that DeJoy has been doing were in place before he took office earlier this year. What's the reason behind some of these changes, like removing the drop boxes, getting rid of these sorting machines? So the post office has been struggling with funding issues for a few years now. They're starting to run out of money. And the reason for this is because back in the like early 2000s, in 2006, a bill was passed that required uh, the post office to start prepaying retirement benefits for all of its employees for like going like 75 years into the future. So they put in, Congress put in all of these restrictions and funding requirements for the USPS that really just put a massive hit on their funding and sort of kickstarted all of the funding issues that are now like coming to a head in the 2020 election. I know that's something that has come up when I was researching this issue is that the, the claim is that if it weren't for this 2006 law, the USPS would be able to self-fund itself with the sale of stamps, services, package delivery, essentially that aside from this prepaying employee health benefits into the future, that it's a self-sufficient agency. Yeah, so before this bill was passed back in 2006, it was basically that the USPS was doing almost too well. And for some reason, politicians decided that they didn't want the USPS to continue being such a well-run and well-funded uh, and profitable service. And so they put a cut on their funding. And now, just over 15 years later, we're seeing how the effects of that. We're living, I guess, the worst case scenario of what a struggling USPS looks like. Ties in, I guess, to the future of this country, to democracy itself. Yeah, it's really, I don't think even when they passed this bill that they could ever imagine that it would come to the point where we were living in a global pandemic that requires millions of Americans to vote by mail. And suddenly the post office doesn't have enough funding in order to 
take in all of those ballots and make sure that Americans can vote safely and not catch the pandemic. What a time. That's really what I have to say to that. Yeah, I don't think there's much else to say. (laughs) Something you mentioned a few minutes ago that I found thought was really interesting was you mentioned that studies have shown that neither party benefits more so than the other from mail-in voting, which then begs the question, why are we seeing generally Republican opposition to universal mail-in voting and to keeping the USPS going at a time like this? You know, it's really kind of impossible to say, just because if you look at the numbers, there's no, really no evidence that they would take a massive hit to election results if they continued to fund the USPS and allowed mail-in voting. And besides that, the Postal Service is one of the most popular services in the country. Like, all Americans benefit from it. It's something that uh, you really need. People who are living... I know like recently there have been a ton of stories about people who live in like rural areas who are waiting weeks to get essential medications because the USPS has been slowed down. So it's a very popular and essential service that Americans really cannot do without. And so I really don't at all understand the motivation behind wanting to dismantle it and to make it harder for Americans to access all of the things that the Postal Service allows them to access. So that's interesting that it's, it almost seems like a no-brainer that you'd want to keep the USPS afloat, that you would want people to be able to vote by mail this year. Yeah, you would think. Considering that now is a, a critical moment for the USPS, for American democracy, and for people's right to vote, what are I guess some of the solutions that you've come about that you think would help both short-term kind of address the pending issues with the 2020 elections, as well as some of the things that you think would improve American democracy as a whole, looking more into the long-term future. Yeah, so looking at specifically this election and vote by mail and saving the USPS, I think on an individual level, the most that the majority of people can probably do is just like contact your representatives, tell them, share personal stories if you have them about how the USPS being defunded will impact you. Uh, Tell them this is an issue that's really important and that they need to save the post office. I know Democrats have introduced a bill to revoke any policy changes to the USPS until 2021. And so DeJoy, the postmaster general, has said he will stop all changes until after the election, but Democrats have proposed a bill to ensure that that stays true, that they can't go back on that. And so just contacting representatives and talking to them and saying your constituents care about this is something you can do on an individual level. And then obviously just being registered to vote, making sure all of your friends and family are registered to vote, knowing state by state, are you allowed to vote absentee in this election? What are the requirements for that? Can you just go online and request a ballot? Or is there some sort of hoop that you have to jump through for that? So knowing, making sure that you're registered and that your friends and family are ready to go and that you personally and those in your circle can vote safely to ensure that there are fewer people 
going to the polls to vote in November. Definitely. Voting, voting is big. And then if we want to talk about uh, saving American democracy as a whole, uh, that's a very large issue that I think will take years to figure out and ensure that voter, that everybody across the country is able to cast their vote and make sure that it's counted, make sure that everybody's vote counts the same. But, you know, in my article, I tried to sort of propose a solution for each of these issues uh, that really hurts American democracy. So if we're going back to the caucus system, the biggest thing is just shifting away from the caucus system and making every state just do a regular primary. And then that also, of course, ties into expanding mail-in voting, making sure people can vote early and cast their ballots through the mail if they need to. For the Electoral College, it's a bigger issue just because the Electoral College was established in the Constitution, and therefore, if you want to get rid of it, you pretty much are required to pass a constitutional amendment, which isn't likely to happen, especially not with a divided government with Democrats in the House and Republicans in the Senate. So that's a huge issue that really requires just, there's nothing that Americans individually can do. It requires action from the highest branches of our government, which is just really disappointing, I think, to know that Americans, Americans across the country, their votes aren't worth the same which is, I think, one of the most fundamental issues with specifically presidential elections, but just ensuring that at some point a vote from a person in Wyoming will be worth the same as a vote from a person in California and make sure that's fair. Voter disenfranchisement as a whole is just like an issue that I've definitely become really, really passionate about in the last couple of years, starting with like the 2016 election, knowing that Donald Trump lost the popular vote by 3 million votes and still somehow managed to make it into the White House. But just looking at issues with voter disenfranchisement and you're talking about removing polling places and cities and making it harder for people to vote and implementing voter ID laws and felon disenfranchisement that impacts the most at-risk groups in our country anyway just issues like that where it really requires people to really just care about the issue, that you have to know what's going on in this country and you have to know, you know, there has to be some way to fix it. And I don't think it's obviously like not going to happen before this election this year, unfortunately, but hopefully people will start looking into these issues and realize just how unfair our democracy is and hopefully that they can get into these issues and realize there has to be something we can do about it, whether it's just you individually uh, trying to get as many people registered as possible or calling your representatives or just making sure that the people in office actually care about allowing as many Americans as possible to vote every election. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I think that's a great place to conclude this week's episode. Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the show this week. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you, getting to really dive into voter disenfranchisement in 2020. And before we wrap things up, is there anything else you'd like to highlight for our audience? Anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I think just 
make sure you're registered to vote. Check your registration online. It's super easy. If you just go to literally just vote.org, there's all sorts of websites that will allow you to check that you're registered to vote in your state and that the, everything is up to date. Make sure that you know if you can vote absentee, if you can do mail-in voting, you should, just to make it as safe as possible for everybody else to vote too. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I hope that everyone listening found it as interesting as I did to hear about the critical implications of COVID-19 and the USPS to American democracy. As Alex said, make sure you have a plan to vote this November, whether that means registering, requesting your absentee ballot, or finding a local polling station during this time. As always, make sure to check out nupoliticalreview.com for more from Alex and all the other fantastic writers at NUPR. And also make sure to rate and review this show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It means a lot and it really helps us out. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.